Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day to be able to come together like this in a place of freedom and love to share your word and also share your love with one another and learn more about your love and the amazing things you've done for us that last for all eternity. Father, most of all at this Christmas season, we're very thankful that you sent and gave up your only son for us. You allowed him to take our judgment and he did so freely out of love for us. Father, help us to just dwell upon that special time and this miracle you did for us, having your son become flesh. Father, we ask that your spirit guide us and teach us tonight. Help us understand your word as only you can. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. It's time to man up. Part two. I don't know about you all, but uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed the last two lessons from the Spirit on Thursday and Sunday. And if you haven't listened to them, I really hope you make it a point uh, on your own time to make sure you, you have done that. While they're convicting messages, um, it's a beautiful calling. One to live in the nobility and purpose God has ordained for His children. Um, you know, we get familiar with things, but think about, just think about the fact that God has called you out personally for his plan and for his purpose. That, that's ridiculous. Like, we shouldn't even, you know, be used to that whatsoever. That's a ridic ridiculous thought that God would even think of us and decide to use us for his glory. So don't get used to it. This is an amazing, beautiful calling, and um, the topic is leading us to fulfillment of this thing. Just like obedience is a beautiful thing to God. God loves obedience, loves it, as any father does for his child. I also know a few years ago when this idea, this similar topic came up, I did not embrace such messages as I do now. Uh, years ago, it was kind of like cringeworthy. You know, you receive it like this, kind of bracing yourself. And now, at least, you know, for me, it, it's more of an eager response in my soul. It's a more um, excited thing about being called out like that. So I hope it's the same for you all. Um, the time is short, and we only have so much opportunity, and we think we're going to have forever to fix it, so to speak. But um, God's saying, hey, listen, let's do that. Let's do it. What are, what are we here for? What are we doing? Building our own little kingdoms. It couldn't be more of a waste of time. So God is clearly working on us all, and in his grace, he gives us time to receive his word and to receive it again, as we're doing in this series. And as I mentioned earlier, the Lord has personally called each one of us and he doesn't want us to miss out on the eternal blessings associated with living it out for his glory. 
we're the ones that are going to miss out when we don't obey, when we don't humble ourselves before the word of God and take advantage of this. So out of love, God's telling us again, it's time to man up. And on Sunday, we were given an interesting perspective about Job, who as a blameless man before God, he was called out to be a better man before God. Now, I don't know how you get better than blameless, right? But apparently, obviously, he's not perfect. We're all sinners. Apparently, Job had another place to go in glorifying God, another level, so to speak, that God wanted to take him. So turn again to Job 38, verse 1. Let's just revisit our humbling passages here. It just shows how we never reach the, you know, the perfect standards of God. Kind of like the asymptote diagram, you know, where the curve is coming closer and closer and closer to God, but we never ever touch him in this life. And Job's way the heck up here. I mean, he's close to that line, you know, as close as a man could be, probably. And then God says, I got something else for you to do, to show angels and the human race. Job 38, 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. I mean, like, it almost seems, I mean, from our flesh, unfair that God would say this to, you know, a swell guy like Job, a, a dedicated guy like Job, a righteous man like Job. He says, gird up your loins like a man. Are you ready? Let's take this to the next level. This is the man of whom God said, there is none like him in all the earth. He said that to Satan. None like this man in all the earth. You want to test him? And yet Job still apparently had some spiritual training to undergo to be purified and bring greater glory to God in his life. How? How does God do this? Well, first he has to humble us. And God humbled Job even more. He was already a humble man. And then Job chose to be humble before God regardless of the seemingly unfair situation he was in. Look at Job 40, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer. Even twice, and I will add nothing more. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? So if that's how God is dealing with Job, how much work do we all need? That came up on Sunday, just a little perspective. And don't, you know, freak out. You know, if Job needed this, oh my God, what am I going to get, right? That's not what God's saying here. God is gracious and patient 
and He has promised to complete the good work in us. So that's His, that's God's uh, doing. And we're following. We're following. We're following the leading as it comes in our, li- in our lives. And by the way, think about this. Job was ready for this. Job was ready for this. So God's not going to give us anything we're not ready for, regardless of our personal opinion and what we think we're ready for. He, he knows if we're ready or not. So in God's perfect timing, Job was trained and prepared for this marvelous testing of his faith. And as we know, he passed the test ultimately. We would just be wise to keep our mouths shut and walk humbly before our God, trusting that he will never give us more than we can handle. 1 Corinthians 10.13 as a reminder. We would simply be wise to keep our mouths shut and do our work as unto the Lord. That's wisdom. I heard an NFL football player get interviewed this weekend on TV, and he came from a horrible upbringing in the projects. Um, talked about some of his life as a child, and his grandmother basically raised him. And he said, the one thing my grandmother told me, just keep your mouth shut and do your work that you're supposed to do, and it'll all work out. And in wisdom, he obeyed that and got out of the ghetto. So how much more? How much more does the Word of God tell us to basically do that? Do you remember Ecclesiastes 5.2 on the board? Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. You know, sometimes uh, when, a, when a new believer gets involved in the church, they can be very um, enthusiastic and even, even showy about their faith or uh, verbal about their faith. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And that's kind of the sign of being sophomoric. Right? Not being wise yet. The wise believer doesn't say much. He does. He just does what God wants him to do. And trust the Lord to you know, hold his hand and to catch him when he falls, etc. Because you know when we open our mouth, what happens? The rest of Ecclesiastes 5, it goes on to say, don't make a vow before God unless you're going to keep it. How about we just <laughs> do what we think he wants us to do so we don't get caught. You know, so don't be hasty in word or deed or impulsive in thought, rather, to bring up a matter in the presence of God. We saw a very pertinent passage on Sunday, which we can apply to taking care of our own families, including our church family, in certain ways. So let's turn again to Jeremiah 1, verse 15. Remember, our topic is to man up. It's time to man up. And this largely concerns our intimate relationships, our family, and even our church family. Jeremiah 1.15 For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. And they will come and they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. And against all its walls round about and against all the cities of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods 
and worship the works of their own hands. Now, gird up your loins and arise, Jeremiah, and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. That's a very humbling passage. Jeremiah, gird up your loins and arise. In other words, do this job I'm telling you to do. If you don't, there will be repercussions. In other words, there are certain real consequences to not following your convictions of what the Lord wants you to do. In this case, the Lord was directly speaking to Jeremiah. But how many times does the Lord convict us of certain things? In prayer or through the teaching of the word, our conscience rings a bell. It's pretty clear. And we choose to ignore it because we want to wimp out. We don't want to man up. But there are real consequences to not following your convictions. God is not to be mocked. He will not be mocked. Yes, he's gracious and compassionate. Look how patient he's been with us already. But he's like, it's time. Let's stop tiptoeing around. So there's a certain type of judgment or discipline when we don't listen to God's conviction. So when you know you hear the voice of God in your own way between you and the Lord, uh, He convicts you, you'll be very wise to obey Him and do so immediately. He doesn't hold the rod for nothing, as Scripture says. And out of love for us, He will use it. And there, my friends, is a healthy fear of your God and Father. He's a father who wants the best for you so badly, has perfect love for you, and therefore knows we need discipline. Hebrews says every son of God, every child of God is disciplined. And that just shows the, uh, the, the wonder and the perfection of our father in heaven. He's not shy to use the rod if he needs to. But, you know, what if we actually are a humble child and we shut our mouths and we just obey him? That's a proper fear of the Lord, and you and I, whenever we do that thing, we, we get spared the rod. And, of course, that's what any good father hopes for. But, again, look what the Lord said to Jeremiah in verse 17. Now gird up your loins and arise, and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Do you remember the results of doubting and not living in your convictions before God? This came up, I think it was last Tuesday, on the board in Romans 14, 22, and 23. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Again, in context, talking about what you think is right to eat and wrong to eat before the Lord. But we're talking about conviction here. If you doubt and you do something, that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for you to be convicted one way or the other. You know, what you think God wants you to do through his word, and you do it. But you see how there's a consequence here for doubting? There's a consequence here for um, not obeying or not doing what God convicts you of? 
And whatever is not from faith is sin. That's why. It might even be not such a bad thing. It might be a sin of omission. It might be Jeremiah saying, Lord, I really don't want to do this. And kind of turning his back on what the Lord's telling him to do. Well, that's a sin of omission. Because you know what God wants you to do. So, follow your convictions. Be brave. In that way, there's, there's courage, there's faith. That's manning up. Follow your convictions. The Spirit, you know when the Spirit is nudging you or pushing you in a certain direction. And if you don't, pray more. Uh, sincerely ask from the heart for guidance and direction. But on the board, follow the convictions the Lord puts on your heart. And do not delay. He is, after all, the Lord God Almighty. Do we forget that? Do we need to go outside and look up in the sky more and realize he created all of this with the breath of his mouth? That's the one we serve. Uh, he's not to be mocked. And there's great beauty and goodness in acting upon the Lord's convictions right away. There's great blessings when we act upon the Lord's convictions right away. I mean, you probably think of a time in your life when you've done that when you've been convicted and, you, and you, you literally just, you know, you just went out and did it. You weren't sure even maybe how it was going to get done, but you just went out and obeyed. And you probably saw some wonderful fruit, like right away, in your own soul and in probably the lives of others. There's nothing like it. It's, it's a, there's a, a supernatural, um, eternal fulfillment there. And beautiful fruit comes forth both now and in eternity. We know the flesh, don't we? What's the flesh going to do? When you're convicted of something and you don't do it right away, what are you going to do? Have you ever heard of the, the other P word, procrastinate? We're really good at that. I know, and, like, and we're all different, but if I put something off one day or two days, it might never happen because we're just really good at that and ignoring certain convictions. That's why, like, you think of baptism, right? Water baptism. The scriptures say, get baptized right away. A new believer, what are you waiting for? Get baptized. Go forward in the faith because it's good for you, very good for you. You procrastinate, then you doubt. And this, this travels with us our whole lives, spiritually. So, do it now. Don't make me do Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do it now. Don't procrastinate. Don't waste opportunities. Would you, would you like to see how many opportunities you've wasted already in the spiritual life? Maybe ask God to show you. Can you imagine how many small and large, whatever, opportunities, the little things are most important to God, how many opportunities you missed or passed over because you were selfish or lacking faith or whatever? Time to man up. Don't miss anymore. We're the ones that miss out. And he's going to provide you the power, unless you don't believe. But when you walk forward in faith, he promises to provide you the power.
That's what Jeremiah learned in verse 18. Look at verse 18. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city. He's talking to Jeremiah, God is. I have made you today a, as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Any questions? Is God honestly going to turn his back on you when you step forward in faith into something you don't even know you can do or how to do it? Is God going to abandon you? Ultimately, this instruction here is for each one of us, at least within our own families and our own households. And the fact is, if you stick up for God's will and God's ways, if you have the courage to go forward and man up and do what you're called to do, He's going to have your back. He's perfectly faithful. It may not be what you imagined, but He's not going to leave you hanging even as you're attacked at times for doing his will. So we have to remember the family structure is always under attack by Satan and the kingdom of darkness. He knows if he can disrupt the family, it spreads out from there throughout society like tentacles. And that's unfortunately what's happening right now in our own country because the family is being demolished, crushed, divided. So... That was the emphasis on Sunday, one of the major ones. Take care of your family. And this includes our church family as well. Satan wants to divide while we remain in the strength of Christ when we stay unified. Forgiving and loving one another, no matter what happens. As came out on Sunday... Our families are meant to be founded on the rock. That is Jesus Christ. So if we imagine our families as buildings, as structures, and buildings are only good as their foundations, so says the word of Christ. Turn to Luke 6, verse 46. Our families are meant to be founded on the rock. That is Jesus Christ himself. And men, it's primarily your job to uh, keep that glue together in your family, in your household. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them We might say man up, the one who follows through on his word. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. That's a great phrase for our topic. Sometimes we have to dig deep in our own souls. That's manning up, what we might call intestinal fortitude to be polite. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. 
Jesus Christ. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. It was on Jesus Christ. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Why was that house ruined so greatly and so easily? Because it wasn't built on the rock, Jesus Christ himself. But if it's built on the rock, I don't care if, it, I don't care if it's a you know, Category 5 tornado. Your house will not fall. So how's your house? We all have to ask ourselves, how is our house? Part of acting upon what the Lord says is taking care of our families. And for those of you that live alone, think outside the box a little bit. What part of my family do I have the chance or the opportunity to lead or take care of? It may be neighbors. It may be extended blood family. It may be church family members that need leadership or help in some area. What's the loving attitude? What's, what's, uh, if, if, if somebody mans up, if you decide to do what you're doing, it should be out of love. If you decide to obey God, it should be out of love. On the board, regarding manning up, how about this attitude? Let me find whatever I can do to help my family. In other words, be proactive, not reactive. Let me find whatever I can do to help my family. That's how a man thinks. A man of God is proactive, obedient to God. That's his main concern. And that means action. It means doing. What did Jesus say again in Luke 6.46? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Do you really believe I'm the Lord? A leader or someone willing to lead will look for opportunities to do good for his family. That's what a leader, that's the definition of a leader. A leader looks out in front and says, oh, there's something to do. This, there's a problem. And he literally goes after it and uh, actively, aggressively takes care of things out in front. He doesn't wait until things fall in his lap, in other words. Holy Scripture tells us we are called to do all we can to keep unity. All we can, so far as it depends on you, keep unity. And that will require unselfish love, the love of Christ. And this is where it gets a little painful. Because if you're going to lead, if you're going to, live for Christ, if you're going to man up and obey His commands and act on them, um, it's going to be painful at times because you have to put self aside, you have to love others, even when they don't deserve it, and it's going to be painful. On the board, cracks in the foundation. A family that is divided over Christ has cracks in its foundation. It cannot bear the same load as a corporation, as one, in other words, especially if said cracks exist between the husband and wife. Ephesians 5, 15 through 24. So we fight for one another. We fight to keep unity. That's a good fight. To help others 
stay in the faith even, to stay united in God's word. Remember, the church is called the bride of Christ. Just think about that analogy. And think about how Christ cares for us with perfect faithfulness. The Lord is so faithful, he will never divorce us no matter what. Just think about that. And that's saying something considering the infinite amount of times members of his bride have been unfaithful to him. Through our idolatry. Through our cheating on him in different ways. Should we say billions of times he's been dishonored and cheated upon in some way? So the Lord is so faithful, he'll never, ever, ever divorce us no matter what. With man, there's often the last straw with his bride. Pretty ironic with that sound that just came out. With man, there's often the last straw with his bride. Boy, I was just like 10 seconds behind the sound effect. (laughs) But isn't that true? With mankind, isn't there always a last straw? Isn't there always a last straw? I mean, if you get pushed enough, you're going to give up or quit or shove somebody off. You've cheated on me four times already. One more time, and that's the last straw. I can't deal with it anymore. Maybe if you're really patient, it's 14 times, and the 15th time is the last straw. Or you've lied to me nine times. One more time, I can't take it anymore. Do you realize Jesus Christ never says that to his bride? To unbelievers, he has to. But if you're his child, by grace through faith, he never says that about us. Infinite patience and love, even though he's being dishonored over and over and over again. But that's how perfect his faithfulness is, and he wants us to emulate him in our relationship or relationships in our families. Just think about that. And he wants us to emulate that. He wants forgiveness to be never-ending. His is for us. And he says, emulate me. Seventy times seven in a day, someone wrongs you. Forgive them. Lord, increase our faith. Amen. But if you ask... He'll give. So on the board, exploiting cracks. The only way that the kingdom of darkness can ever destroy a marriage or family is to sever one or more of the parties from Christ. Evil is always looking for cracks in the foundation to exploit, to expand, to weaken the entire structure above. He's looking for the smallest crack, in other words, in your marriage, in your family. Just a way to get in there. Kind of like water finds the place of least resistance, right? He's looking to just get in there and destroy the, you know, solidness of your foundation. Again, let's turn to Ephesians 5, which we were on Sunday. Ephesians 5, 15. That's what a wolf does. He exploits. 
weaknesses. He goes after the weakest in the family. And this is where we have to man up, is what the Spirit's saying. We've got to be on guard, take care of our family, step up when we need to step up. Ephesians 5.15 Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. The days are evil. The, the time is short, everybody. We're not here much longer. So man up, let's do it. As we might have days left. Remember Galatians 6.10, do good to others as long as you have the opportunity. Are you going to let more opportunities just pass you by, even though you were convicted? Or are you going to obey and just do it? Regardless of how you feel or what you think you're able to do, that, that is meaningless. Obedience is um, without questioning. Like obedience is, okay, Father, you want me to do this? Okay. I have no idea how I'm going to do this, but you said it, so I'm going to walk. That's obedience in like a pure sense, right? So don't let the opportunities pass you by because of lame excuses. Man up and live by faith. Go for it. In verse 17, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. Notice, to one another. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's God's will in verse 17. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, in verse 22, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, while there's still time, while there's opportunity... Bring God glory. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as, the Christ, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Again, on the board, a family that is divided over Christ has cracks in its foundation, so, therefore, it cannot bear the same load as a corporation. I mean, just think about this, right? God wants, God wants you to do some awesome things in your, with your life for his glory. Even as a unit, if you're married, he wants you to, to accomplish certain things for his glory. Now, if there's a crack in your foundation at home and God gives you an opportunity to help someone, to serve, whatever it is, but because there's a crack in your foundation at home, you have to say, I can't do that. We're not uh, strong enough right now. I can't, uh, let's use an extreme example, go on a missionary trip because I got a problem in my marriage. I just can't do it. But what would happen if, you, if there was no problem in your marriage? What would happen if you were united and serving the Lord together in unity at that point in your life? You could say, okay, let's do this. We're one, we're a corporation, let's do this. Whatever it is. But if there's a crack in the foundation, you can't bear the same load that God might give you the opportunity to bear. 
So don't let that happen. Like always be maintaining, you know, if you're a, if you're a yard work person or a house person, you like fixing things up and this and that, you know how with a house, you, you could always find something to do to improve it, to make it better, to make it safer or whatever. Uh, well, that should be our attitude spiritually for our house. Again, leading is looking forward, right? Seeing the problems ahead and going after them. So the Spirit is boldly declaring to us to tend to our families, starting with the men. And men, be prepared to be shunned or mistreated at times, just like Christ was. Because it's not popular to lead people somewhere they might not want to go. That's the problem. So just be ready. If you're single, you're in training for this thing. That if God wants you to do this thing, you're, you hopefully learn ahead of time. And you even help others in the church family in some way like this. But it's not popular to lead people somewhere where they might not want to go. Just ask pastor. But if it's good, if something is good, if something is godly and good, we must be men and stand firm, knowing we're leading our families to a safer pasture, even though they might not want to come along at first. And if God grants us a certain authority, especially men, we must use it for his glory in obedience to his good plan. And we must be compassionate all the while. This came out on Sunday too. A good leader can be firm and compassionate at the same time. Just look at the life of our Lord. Just think of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the Gospels. Think of all the things he said in the Gospels. He had this amazing ability to be both firm and compassionate at the same time. He never compromised truth. Grace and truth, remember that? He never compromised truth, but always acted in grace in some way. So a good leader can be firm and compassionate at the same time. And we just emulate, once again, the Lord's example. So here's a perspective to embrace men as we emulate the Lord Jesus Christ on the board. Man up. People have a hard enough time submitting to Jesus, who's perfect. Never mind a husband or father who's very much imperfect. Men must understand this and have godly compassion for others. Those under your authority or assigned to you, they're not always going to be ready. They're not always going to overlook your faults and your mistakes. But have compassion, be patient, just like Christ was with you and is with you. Turn again to 1 Peter 3, verse 5. 1 Peter 3, 5. This is part of our calling, men. And this is part of manning up. It's not a macho thing. 1 Peter 3, 5. For in this way... In former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. 
and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. And don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at pastor. It's the word of God. You know, step back. We're all made differently. It doesn't mean men are better. We're all made and designed differently. We function differently. We're both made in the image of God. But we have different roles and different strengths and different weaknesses. And so men are told, husbands have said, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Show her honor, guys. Even while she's kicking against your authority. In fact, true strength or true manliness is revealed in love and compassion. Again, one can be firm and compassionate at the same time. What does the Lord God do with His strength? This has come up several times the last few weeks. What does the Lord God Almighty do with His strength? He leads with grace and compassion. I think it's Romans... uh, 11, it says, Behold the kindness and the severity of God. Something to behold. No one has more strength than God. And at the same time, no one has more compassion than God. How does he use his strength? And that's true strength in God's eyes. It includes the strength to withhold at times. The strength to be patient and compassionate. That's real strength, isn't it? Isn't that like the toughest thing to do sometimes? You know, the physical stuff might be easy or to, uh, you know, be aggressive physically to take over a situation or whatever to fix something in the house. Much easier to just do it than to show restraint and love and compassion when it's needed. But true strength withholds certain things at times. And we were given some good reminders on Sunday of things that the flesh makes us wrongly think are manly. And maybe it's from our upbringing. uh, Maybe it's just from our arrogance, men. We know we got plenty of that, you poor ladies. But here's what manning up is not. Manning up is not ordering your wife around like a puppy, pressing into your children with unbalanced force, or expecting others to serve you like a king. I've seen so-called Christian men have that attitude who see that their wife is supposed to call them Lord or treat them like Lord and therefore expect to be served like a king. How obnoxious and arrogant is that? Someone with authority in God's plan uses his authority for the good of others. Someone with authority in God's plan uses his authority for the good of others, not for his own good or the good of his ego. That's worldly authority. And we're told not to be of the world. So this might take a redefining in your own soul. What what does it mean to man up? God uses his strength in a gracious, compassionate way. 
Again, on the board, manning up is not punting your responsibilities to others and then blaming them when they cannot do what you're supposed to be doing. That, gosh, eesh. tell me that's not going on in our society now. Manning up is not sacrificing love and mercy in any way. Pointing fingers, especially when you are defunct. For example, on the board in Ephesians 6 verse 4, I love the NIV translation here. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Is a good example. Does God the Father exasperate us as his children? Does he dishearten us? Or is it just the opposite? Like I've said before, I thank God every day for his gentleness toward me. Because I know what I deserve. And I see his patience over and over in certain areas of my life. I'm like, whew. Thank you, Father, that your glory is your grace. And even though you have such strength, your kindness is your glory, you know. So... Let's take the lead. Let's take that lead and follow it. Emulate the way God treats his children. So we're back to love, everybody. Again, if you want to do things right with the right balance, you must make sure love is your motivation. Because if it is, you won't exasperate your children. If love is your motivation, you won't lord it over your wife. You'll realize God gave you authority to be used for good and not for evil. And evil, we might say, self. God gave you authority to use for good for others. Whatever category, whatever place that is. On the board, love never fails, as we know. 1 Corinthians 13.8 And we must always examine ourselves to see if this is our motivation or reasoning for leading in a certain way whatever is called for at the time. Love never fails. So with that, we're going to be good. Everything's going to work out for good for those that love God. We have to examine our motivation. Why, why am I leading in this way right now? I think this is the right, do, right way to do this thing, but am I doing this for myself in some way? Am I being a control freak? Am I trying to you know, am I expecting to be treated like the king <laughs> in pride? So just check your motivation. Everything we, should, we do should be done in love. And again, love is not selfish. In fact, it's the opposite. It truly puts the best interests of others first. That's our measuring stick. And as we just read... Men are to love their wives like Christ loves his own bride, the church. To be leaders in the home or to the leaders in the home, remember how gracious and patient God has been with you. If you're a leader in any area of your life, whether it's in, at work or in a family environment or in the church environment, remember how gracious and patient God has been with you. That's why we can't forget where we came from. And let that reality rub off in your dealings with those that God has placed under your authority. 
That's why every day we wake up, we thank God for life itself. We thank God for eternal life. And maybe we thank God for his patience with us. Because that reminder is like, okay, I was going to do this in this area of my life where I have authority today, but you know what? I just realized what I've been forgiven of. In fact, the exact same thing that that person's doing to me right now, that God was patient with me and didn't squash me. So let that reality rub off in your dealings with those that God has placed under your authority. He says, treat them like I treat you. And remember, God has entrusted them to you, personally placing them under your care. No coincidences. So as came out on Sunday on the board, love's a big part of manning up. Everything we do must be completely enveloped in love, including firmness and discipline. Otherwise, it's not good in God's eyes. We've been on the series, What is Good, right? And who gets to define it? God does. And um, love is good. No love is bad. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. What does it say? We're not going to read it. But it basically says, Great things done by faith without love equals zero. Nothing. So without love, you can't man up. You can't do it God's way. You can be a worldly man if you want and be a fool. But you can't be a man of God with integrity and virtue and do it in a way that brings glory to God without love. It's impossible. So let that be our um, self-examination again every day. On the board, man up. A man's starting point in marriage, family, is with Jesus Christ's example to his church. A father or husband must seek to be both a lion and a lamb as he leads his household not just one or the other like most men are, either unrelenting authoritarians or wimps. Take Jesus' example. Jesus was both firm and compassionate. This is how men can properly live in their God-given responsibilities. That's exactly what they are. If you have any authority whatsoever... That's a God-given responsibility. Remember we went to Romans 13 last week? We're not going to read it again, but it says, Owe no man anything except to love one another. And then it says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Just think about that in the context of this series, manning up, taking care of your family, whatever part of your family it might be. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Who are your closest neighbors? This came up on Sunday also. Those of your own household. Those in the next room. Maybe the person in bed next to you. Those are your neighbors. And love does no wrong to a neighbor. So if you have responsibilities given you by the Lord to lead your family at home or to care for your church family, it's wrong if you don't fulfill your responsibilities. That's not love. God gave you a position of authority in some area of your life. And when you 
omit that, when you ignore the, the responsibilities, that's not love. You're doing the wrong thing, i.e. not taking care of your family, not leading them spiritually. But if you have love, you'll fulfill them. Again, examine yourself. Is that your motivation? Love will walk forward by faith in God's calling on your life. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And again, men, God is entrusting you with certain people he has placed under your care, especially spiritually, helping keep the Lord as top priority in the home. And that requires spiritual leadership, guys. Spiritual leadership. Like taking the lead in your house for spiritual things. Things that are allowed in the house, things that are not allowed in the house. Things that are ungodly that you decide we're not going to do this anymore. Things that are godly we bring out to the surface. Maybe it's reading the Bible together. Maybe it's praying. I don't know. Maybe it's just discipline in coming to class. And, and as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. But it requires spiritual leadership. Go to 1 Peter 3, verse 13. 1 Peter 3, verse 13. We're not going to get through our whole lesson, but that is just fine. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Notice, what is good. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness... You are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, with gentleness and reverence. That could be in the home, by the way. Be ready to give, make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that's in you. And how? With gentleness and reverence. We can be firm and compassionate at the same time. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. There's some encouragement for all of us. Listen, we're all going to suffer in this life at times, right? Who's, who doesn't suffer in this life, in this flesh, in this world? So wouldn't you rather your suffering be for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong? For doing what is unselfish instead of doing what is selfish? For living in love, even when it's not popular, instead of living for self and letting the chips fall where they may? We're all going to suffer. Let's do it for what is right. And that should be the joy that motivates us, regardless of resistance we might experience. That should be the joy that motivates us. I'm doing what is right here. I'm doing what is righteous in God's eyes. And I'm doing it out of love. So you know what? I feel good about this, even though they you know, might want to hang me up on the cross. I have a joy in my heart that I know I'm doing God's will here and doing it His way. So remember, as was brought out on Sunday, we might call it realistic expectations. The family unit 
is a petri dish of human dysfunction. So everyone get married and have kids. <laughs> have realistic expectations. Only the word of God, administered by the spirit of Christ, our great physician, is able to keep said disease at bay. There's going to be problems in the family unit. Do we think it's going to be perfect for some reason? What do you expect when you have more than one sin nature living under the same roof? So have realistic expectations and rely on the word of God. This is where the spiritual leadership is so important, men, that we have to keep the word of God out in front, you know, relying on the spirit of Christ out in front in everything we do. And that's what keeps the disease at bay. Don't have unrealistic expectations, but instead have sound judgment as God grants to each one of us through his word and his spirit. And what also came out on Sunday as we close is not to expect your friends in the world to accept your stances or your ways in leading your family in Christ. Once again, don't have an unrealistic expectation there. Be ready for the fact that if you say, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord, and you say that to a friend, a neighbor, another family member who's in your periphery, expect kickback. Don't be ridiculous and expect people to just come along for the ride. In other words, be ready to stand firm. It's like if you're playing football and someone's coming at you, what do you do? You brace yourself. You're like, okay, I'm ready to take it. Or you're just going to look the other way and be like, not ready for the hit, which the world is always ready to do to you in some way, sometimes very sneakily, sometimes very suddenly. Don't have unrealistic expectations. Expect to be getting kicked back when you stand firm in the ways of God. And remember on the board, the world, especially our current culture in America, is trying to emasculate every man of God. It's trying, it's whatever. I'm going to say something. It's trying really hard. And you know what's funny? Like, this isn't even put into words. You're not going to watch TV and have them come out and say, we're going to try, try to emasculate every man in America so everyone's equal and actually some women can control everything. Then nobody's going to say that. But their actions speak so loud. They're trying to emasculate men from being real men, from standing up for virtue and truth in grace. They're trying to wipe that out. So men, you know... There's only a few of us compared to the world, but God's calling us out. He's like, man up. Let's show people how it's done God's way and let the chips fall where they may. Live in faith, in love, stand firm, and be gracious. And watch God work in your life. Watch God bring himself glory because you're an obedient child of God going forward in what God has you know, given you in your authority. It's up to him, isn't it, in the big picture? All he wants is obedience. And he promises to get the job done. So we'll close on that note, and we'll continue on Thursday. Let's bow. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your grace, for your mercy, for your gentleness and your patience with us. 
Help us never forget the way you've treated us in love and kindness. And help us have these things rub off in our duties when we deal with those in our, under our authority or those that you've given us to lead. Help us lead the right way just like Christ would in firmness, in truth, and in grace. Show us how to do this, Father, by your Spirit and your Word. We ask that you bless us as we go. Help us bring your word out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.